Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor program. Uh, we have come today to the end of our series on the 12 steps, which means, for all those with a keen sense of the obvious, we have come to step 12. Well, that's, that is the keen keen uh, sense right there. I was going to have like a trumpets blaring oh. as as this was the 12th and final addition to this series, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll bypass that. Well, you know, it's actually kind of consistent with step 12, that trumpet should be blaring. Well, let's just read it, and, you know, we'll get into it. Sure. Uh, and I always want to be careful to read it the way uh, it's Alcoholics written. Anonymous has written it. And we're going to make a slight correction to it uh, here, as we'll see, but a correction to it in terms of sex addiction. All right, step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we decided to carry this message to alcoholics, and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. You know, if the listeners will remember, we've talked about step 10 and step 11, uh, obviously step 2 and 3, all about spiritual growth, surrendering, control of your life to God as you understand God. And uh, step 11 is about uh, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. So basically what the steps are pointing to is that uh, hopefully we have a spiritual awakening, and I can't tell you that I can tell you that uh, this Easter season around here, uh, we seem to have had just a lot of spiritual awakenings. Uh, we have some men who were just completely moved by the uh, process of Holy Week, and uh, some of them watched uh, the Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie. Oh, okay. Destroyed them as it did all of us when it first came out, but uh, you know more than that. I, I think it, it's just a, a reminder of what what Christ suffered and endured for us, and as a result of that, I think that a lot of men and perhaps women too. I just don't talk to them as much, but you know, just had some spiritual awakenings uh, as part of their program, and uh, it's been really kind of miraculous to see how the Holy Spirit works in men's lives. So the one correction, or the two corrections here, I guess, that uh, we need to put in for the sex addiction crowd here is that, you know, it says we carry the message to alcoholics. Well, you know, we might carry a message to alcoholics at times, but uh, about recovery, the 12 steps, and sobriety, and all of that. But but uh, more than that, you know, we're going to want to be carrying the message to other sex addicts, other men and women struggling with sexual sin. And then the last part of it, and to practice these principles in all of our affairs, that doesn't go over too well right? for you know a lot of the men who've had affairs. So we just say uh, practice these principles in all of our lives. Uh, so now this is the evangelism step, and it's number 12, and it's take the message out. It's Jesus standing at the transfigure, transfiguration saying, you know, take the message to the, the, all the nations, you know, to the disciples. And uh, I think it's, it took the disciples a while to get the spiritual awakening, you know, Pentecost, uh, Jesus coming back and spending more time with them. And I think particularly Peter 
needed that extra time with Jesus to kind of get things straight about his role in all of this. And uh, so they were going to carry the message as they did uh, and created, you know, the beginnings of a church, uh, which one day was to have more members in it than any other faith. So that's multiplication. We could look at the history of Alcoholics Anonymous and say that from that very first meeting, which took place in 1935, between uh, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, they decided to carry the message to others and uh, started new groups uh, around the country, wrote the big book, and for that matter, wrote the 12 Steps, and uh, they started carrying the message. And millions and millions of alcoholics over the last 80-plus years have been, uh, been helped by that. So I think, you know, the message of this is fairly obvious. I think where guys get kind of tied up with this one is uh, what does this mean? Do I have to go out there and kind of broadcast, publicize Mm -hmm. my story? Do I have to give public speeches uh, in which I reveal my story? Do I have to stand up in church and give a testimony? What does this mean that I have to do? And, you know, understandably, a lot of the guys, because of confidentiality and the shame of sexual sin, they're, they're kind of reluctant to do it. It's very interesting because previous to you arriving here at the office this afternoon, I had a 28-minute conversation with a pastor from up in Brainerd. Brainerd? Uh-huh. Yeah. Who had called, and he has, uh, he has referred men to come down to the Men of Valor workshop, mm-hmm. and I thanked him for that. and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh just told him how much uh, that means to us. And he was asking about the Men of Valor workbook and how they use it. And he was looking for some guidance in which I offered to send him the leadership guide. To the, okay. to the Faithful yeah. and True book? Yes, yeah. to okay. the revised version of the Faithful and True book. Okay. And it was funny because he started by telling me he's read statistics as to how deep the problem of sexual addiction is in our culture. And he said, usually when I read statistics, I usually think to myself, well, cut that in half mm-hmm. to, to, to make it more realistic. And he says, because I have heard that mm-hmm. uh, there are roughly 70% of men mm-hmm. who view pornography uh, on a consistent basis every month. Right. And that there was basically 33 to 35% of women also. And he said, so I was just cutting that in half to basically 35% of men and uh, and 18% of women. And I said, I can tell you from our research that you don't have to be doing this math. No, you don't. (laughs) No, no. To be accurate, uh, stick with those first numbers that you have discovered because pornography addiction and sexual addiction and struggles with sexual purity in our culture mm-hmm. is an epidemic. It's an epidemic. And, and in fact, as you have and others have referred to, it is currently a, a tsunami. Tsunami is a word that yeah. a lot of the leaders in the field have used, myself included. Just to show the yeah. devastation that, yeah. that is out there. And that really kind of opened his eyes. And, and he said, yeah. well, I'm just... You know, I'm so hesitant to talk about it from my position. He, you could tell yeah. that he was, and I said, "There's a good reason for that." And I yeah. said, uh, "It may not be your personal case, but our yeah. research also shows that roughly 51 percent of clergy yeah. struggle 
on a consistent basis with it as well. Perhaps you've even looked at pornography within the last week. Exactly. Yeah. And all of a sudden, things got very quiet. Yeah. You know, and he said, well, that would make sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's as, all he as, said. But yeah, he, yeah, right. He yes. wasn't, he wasn't uh, confessing anything, and I wasn't asking him to, but I said, you know, we started out wondering why isn't this being talked about uh, from the pulpit. But just like you're encouraging today uh, in step 12, you know, to go out and be more evangelical with this message yeah. and your conviction, it is a call to action. Well, it definitely is a call to action. And I think your story with the pastor reveals the fact that uh, the average pastor in the average church is probably not going to face into this. Right. Yeah, even if they are themselves are struggling, even if they themselves are working a program, even if they themselves are being successful, you know, to them, I mean, to reveal what they've struggled with might involve vocational consequences. And in some denominations, depending on the level of the activity, that might be true. I mean, they might be asked to leave a church because of some cases looking at pornography, other cases obviously having across the flesh line experiences. So... It's been a hard, a hard idea to sell to the church because of the shame, which I think the evil one, Satan, keeps heaping upon us, that there's no way we can do this. It's just too, too dangerous to do this. Well, the visual that I have always appreciated uh, when we first heard it was when you and I got the opportunity to meet our friend, Pastor Jay Dennis. Jay, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. from down in, in Florida who has uh, a, a ministry... Uh, at a very uh, substantial church down there in in uh, Lakewood, uh, Florida, and his ministry is called One Million Men Porn Free. One Million Men Porn Free at the Church on the Mall. That's exactly right. At Twenty thousand members. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine? Oh. And and Jay is is a blessed and gifted speaker. Oh yeah. And just so charismatic. We just love him. And he shared with us some photographs from a. Um, uh, a talk that he does to his conversation in which he talks about... to his congregation? The, well, he, he talks about the pink elephant in the pew. Do you remember uh, that? Yes, I'm talking about the fact that he talked to his congregation. Yeah. I think you misspoke. You said conversation. He talked oh, to his conversation. I thought I said congregation. I'm sorry. But, but he has this yeah. six-foot, bright pink, stuffed uh, <laughs> elephant, and... He, he would, yeah. Yeah, he uses that as his prop and refers to it as the pink elephant sitting in the pews, and that's how he introduces getting people to talk yeah. and come forward and uh, start to face the reality if they are struggling with uh, sexual purity issues. Well, that's right, and Jay, given the, uh, the pulpit that he has, you know, has access to thousands of people every Sunday, and you know, for him to be addressing this head on and to have visuals that kind of grab people's attention. That's what a Southern Baptist pastor would do, <laughs> and that's what he is. And uh, he's also, a, you know, one of our main proponents of Lexio Divina, the form of meditation that he has been doing and encouraging men in his congregation to do. That is the stuff that leads to the spiritual transformation that, that then leads to the 12th step, which means we're going to carry the message to others. I think after the break, we should probably just talk about the levels of which you might share, because I think people, you know, we don't want to leave them with the idea that you have to stand up in front of a large crowd and tell your story. Exactly. Well, let's take that break right now, Mark, and when we come back, we'll do just that. You are listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program.
Do you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's faithfulandtrue.com. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week, uh, Randy, we're coming through the end kind of of the award show season. And, you know, it goes back to the Academy Awards, the Emmy Awards, the Grammys, all that kind of stuff. And I think there's an award show on tonight with Kelly Clarkson as the host. Yeah, the Uh, Billboard Magazine. The Billboard Magazine Awards. Yeah. All we're saying is I think if you're watching those shows, you have to be careful because there are certainly some people on those shows, certain of the music numbers and the dance numbers, uh, I was remembering the performance by Jennifer Lopez in one of them. I, you know, just completely inappropriate. I, you know, her husband, uh, I forget his name, the former baseball player, was sitting down in the audience, and I was wondering Derek what Jeter. he, Derek Jeter, what he was thinking. But uh, anyway, I don't think we need to belabor that one. I think everybody gets that. And you know, again, you're watching TV because you love music and you want to see the awards, and or you love movies and you want to see the awards, and. You know, you're going to get this stuff just kind of uh, pushed in your face. So just beware. Just turn it off or look the other way or go in another room and get a snack. Well, that's uh, that's a relevant one. That's for sure. Um, let's return our listeners to our show today in which we are addressing the 12th and final steps of the 12 steps of AA. Yeah, and I was just thinking, um, you know, kind of how I got started um, the very first thing that I did, uh, which was, you know, again, it was part of my program to do it for me, is that when I got home from treatment back to Sioux City, Iowa, there was no group for sex addiction, and I went to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and uh, basically we recruited guys that, uh, from AA that that uh, also struggled with sex addiction, and we started our own meeting. So that was one of my early, early, early you know, uh, having had a spiritual transformation, meaning that I had sobriety at that point for the first time in my life, uh, and I was able to carry the message to other alcoholics, which is the spirit of the step, uh, the way it's originally stated. And uh, as a result of that, there's been innumerable men in Sioux City, Iowa, who've been able to participate in a 12-step group for sexual addiction, and that those meetings are still going. But that was a small thing because, it, you know, you don't really confront that many anonymity issues there because you're you're speaking to the guys telling your stories within the context of a, 
a con- confidential group, you know, and I think that's the way to practice telling your story and getting better at it. Well, I've always been amazed at you telling that story, Mark, because of the fact that it revealed uh, something that, that you uh, now notice on a regular basis here is so oftentimes, um, because I remember you telling me that you went to these AA meetings because they were the only support of meetings in town, right. and then you were finding yourself being approached by other AA members yeah. uh, and going, I too struggle with sexual addiction. Right, right, right. And so um, you have said on numerous occasions that it's not unusual for you to meet uh, an individual coming to our groups mm-hmm. who also struggles uh, struggle with another form of addiction. Well, alcoholism or drug addiction or eating or food, work or yeah, food. Right? Yeah. Well, we could go on with that. I, 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 basically, I think one of the principles I'm trying to... Uh, uh, teach here today is that start slow, start in safe community, start in the community of your support systems, practice telling your story uh, to other men who are also struggling. They are safe, they are confidential, uh, confidential, and you just practice weaving together what is your story and what is the hope in your story and that kind of thing. And then, depending, not, we are not all called to be, you know, really out there in, in public. I think one of the steps I've always encouraged men to do is at least uh, go to their pastor uh, or one of their pastors and tell a version of their story. It doesn't have to be the full-blown dramatic thing, but it's just like you struggle with pornography and masturbation or whatever it is. And pastor, if you ever run across any other men that are talking to you and they are struggling with that, then uh, I'd be more than open to having coffee or lunch with those guys and and at that time, I will tell my story, and that's that's a relatively safe way, one-on-one, to uh, to carry the message. Uh, I know a lot of guys who have uh, gained lots of uh, recovery brothers uh, by simply doing that. The invitation might go out to the pastor to allow uh, a group of men that has uh, accepted this uh, to meet in one of the rooms of their church on a given morning or afternoon or evening in the church. That's, I think, probably one of the more common routes in which guys spread the message when they, they're they having uh, just those one-on-one conversations at Perkins, you know, right. uh, that Ma- kind of thing. Making themselves available. Making themselves available, yeah, not going out and buttonholing guys, Yeah, saying, you know, you look uh, like you're struggling with pornography. We would never do that. No. We would want guys to come to us or... We would always lead with our own story. That's the key to it. So in other words, we're meeting with a guy that maybe the pastor has referred to us. We're not going to ask him right off the top, tell me your story. You know, we're going to uh, tell that guy our story, well, uh, and that'll free him up. Our listeners who, who listen to us with regularity know that I have mentioned this many times before, and that is the uh, the guilt and shame that is so easy to identify when men come to us for the Men of Valor workshop, right. you know, and their hesitation when they call to register so often is based in uh, the amount of shame and guilt that they're carrying on their shoulders. But when the workshop starts with you telling your story, which is what you're recommending right now, you know, you start that out by telling your story, and all of a sudden their eyes are open to, oh, wait, yeah, th- there's hope for me. 
Right. You know, that's right. And and so uh, mm-hmm. I think the especially the invitation to do it one on one at a Perkins or at breakfast or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you're taking so much of the pressure off of them by saying, "Let me share my story first. Because mm-hmm. then, by the time that they're done hearing your story, um, they go, mm-hmm. "Well." My story is pretty similar to yours. Here's yeah, what, here's what, what, I, here's what I've ex- experienced. And boy, that what we are here are uh, we try to provide the hope. Right, that's exactly right. The hope that that uh, that recovery and salvation, you know, is uh, is attainable. That's right. And those meetings, they have a name, you know, strangely enough, which is they're called twelfth step meetings. You know meaning that I'm going to do my 12-step. I'm going to tell you my story at those meetings. Early on, uh, for me, there was a debate about, given the fact that I was also academically involved in the field and teaching with Dr. Carnes and you know, uh, being clinical and academic and so forth, being a teacher in the field, you know, during lectures, conferences, and you know, so forth, would I lead with my story? And... Uh, I, Dr. Carnes uh, made a decision uh, early on, and it's his decision, and he uh, knew that there was so much pushback against the concept of sexual addiction that uh, he didn't want to be identified as some victim sex addict out there speaking about something that a lot of people didn't believe in back in those days. So he made a decision not to tell his story, and that left some of the rest of us, uh, and I can think of other names, and I won't mention all of them, but you know, other, I think, courageous people who, you know, would do a speech uh, at a conference and they would uh, lead with uh, at least a brief version of their own story. And that's that's been what I've always done. That was the next step for me uh, in getting the message out. And I first started doing it at the hospital where we were working in terms of lectures to the patients. But then eventually, about five years into my recovery, I got an invitation to go to my first national speech and uh, I made a decision then to tell my story. And the outpouring of support and affirmation and questions about uh, help uh, was just unbelievable, including uh, an editor from Zondervan who wanted me to take what I had written in the book, including my story, or in the speech, including my story, and and put that in a book. So when I wrote my first book, that was a 12-step thing that I was doing. And God rewarded you. Yeah, the book's still out there. (laughs) <laughs> in its 19th pressing. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It's It was published first in 1992, and it's, I don't know how many printing it's had, but it's, you know, it's definitely still out there. And uh, I just talked to a guy the other day, he said, I read your book, and boom, the lights went on, and I saw myself, and I knew I had to come over and see you. And, you know, so that was a 12th step. It was, you know, me telling my story, me telling the dynamics of this, and now the guy's coming to our workshop. He's going to get some help, and uh, he's going to have his own path. Uh, Now, just be aware, I'm not saying that the average person out there is going to be called by God to write books, but uh, I think what I'm really saying is that uh, if if we are open to God using us through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, other people and pastors and others will become aware of that, and people will start coming to us. And uh, that's really what happens around here every day. There's you know, when I meet a new client here that's, you know, coming to our center for the first time, you know, one of the things I'm going to lead with is to, you know, to help him with his shame is to let him know that I'm a recovering sex addict and I've had 32 years of, you know, sobriety and all this stuff. And 
um, that uh, there is a way out. So, you know, that at that point, the story, you know, is about the hope of the 12 steps or the hope of the Christian approach to uh, recovery through the steps. And um, so God will grow this, I believe. Um, and you might be surprised that there's a lot of men in our groups. There'll be a couple who are coming here in just a few minutes for our three o'clock group on Wednesday afternoon that have actually done their testimonies in front of their congregations. And uh, they've actually done it with their wives, who've also told their side of the story. So I'm just very proud of those people, and that's led to lots of fellowship with other couples, other people. And, uh, you know, really, uh, the legacy of Faithful and True is not, you know, just a lot of people taking my work and writing out there, but it's just a lot of people taking their own story out there. Right, so. right. So, Mark, as we uh, wrap up today's program, you told me that you had one more example that you wanted to share. <laughs> well, it's one of my favorite stories about uh, just trying to indicate to our listeners that, uh, you know, I'm a human being with all the fears and shames and so forth. And I think I've told it on this show before, but I think it's worth telling today when we're talking about this step. And that is that when I was writing that first book, which uh, I just mentioned, this is back in 1991, 92. So at that point, I had uh, four or five years of sobriety. And um, so I completed the manuscript, and that was on one of the first uh, computer programs to do that kind of thing on an Apple IIc computer. And I was late at night. It was 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and I just had this wave of fear come over me that uh, if I published this book, if this book went out there uh, and people read the story, uh, my story in it, there would be a lot of criticism because my story had been public and there was a lot of people that were angry at me and all that kind of thing. And so um, I remember distinctly uh, having my hand on the delete button for the whole file, you know, so it was like 250-page file and I was going to delete the whole thing. Uh, that's how petrified and scared and shameful I think at the moment I was and uh, what I used to do when I was writing uh, was uh, listen to KTIS, the local Christian FM station, and they would play music called The Light in the Night back in those days, and it was usually uh, comforting for the most part. So at that point, I've got my hand on the button to delete the book, and uh, on KTIS came the song, um, This Little Gospel Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, you know, um, and so forth. And I said, God, you know, you, you reminded me of truth, that you're going to take care of me in the process, and you had to take me back to my Sunday school three-year-old self to remind me of what is true. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. So the book went out there. Um, there was one person who criticized it, but that soon quieted down, and... Uh, the book has been out there, like we just said, for over 25 years. You have been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we thank you so much. We hope that this series on the 12 Steps of AA have been beneficial to you. We hope that this coming week is going to be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at FaithfulandTrue.com. That's FaithfulandTrue.com.